Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to be looking at a message this morning from this wonderful Old Testament text. It is a privilege for me to have my family all together here. My daughters have been, uh, my two older daughters have been working at camp this summer. And uh, I thought that was really good because they're with me at the university during the year. And they need some time away from us, okay? So I'm thankful they're serving there at the camp, and they're here this morning. And then my two elementary-age girls, 11-year-old and 10-year-old, Morgan and Meredith, they're here as well. And I couldn't do it without my wife, Amy. I'm so thankful for her. And uh, those of you that don't know, my in-laws, they live up near the wilds. My brother Matt was married to Amy's sister. If this is getting confusing, I'm sorry. But uh, so when Julie was diagnosed with cancer, my, my in-laws moved from Kansas City, and they moved down here to help with the family. And of course, uh, many of you know my brother Matt's wife, Julie, passed away. And they have stayed at a beautiful place up in, in the mountains, and I'm so thankful they're here with us here today as well. I will be preaching this week at the junior camp, and it's probably the only uh, college professor, dean of a seminary that would ever preach at a junior camp, but I think that's where it all starts, Amen. And I'm so thankful for the privilege of ministering to the boys and girls there at, at uh, the Wilds this week. And then I'll be traveling over to Southland Christian Camp for a week of teen camp, uh, where my brother Mike is. And then we'll come back to the Wilds for a week of teen camp and a week of junior camp. And then I'll head back and we'll start in service at Maranatha Baptist University. And if you don't know where that is, that's in Watertown, Wisconsin. And I have to admit, I'm enjoying the, the beautiful uh, weather down here as well. But during the summer, there's very little humidity in Wisconsin. And so uh, a really nice, nice place to live. I'm so thankful for the ministry God has given to us there. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7 say this, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. This is the first time out of two that we will see this very repeated command that is throughout the book of Isaiah. Fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. And I have loved thee, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not. This is the second time we see the command to, to not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring thy sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. We want to talk this morning about the subject identity. Identity in God. When we think about identity, it is literally who you are. It is the way you think about yourself. It's the way you are viewed by the world around you. And it's the characteristics that define you. You know, sad to say, there's a lot of confusion today about identity. 
There are certain parts of our identity that we were born with. You are either a man or a woman. And that is pretty obvious and sad that there is confusion about gender identity in our world today. But identity is who you are. And there are biological obvious reasons why, why God created men and women uniquely separate and different. There are certain parts of our identity that are, not, that are not granted to us biologically, but maybe we choose. We choose ways to identify ourselves. Sometimes this is based upon where you live or where you grew up and the kinds of things you enjoy. I identify as a Kansas City Chiefs fan. It's a good time to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. For a long time, it was not a good time to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Maybe you're from a different town or a different place and you would claim an identity based upon where you live, even a sports team, or uh, and you would wear it on your shirt and you would proudly proclaim that you identify from that place or with that sports team. And then, of course, we know that our identity is a little bit like our name. Whether I like it or not, I'm a herbster. And that name has meaning. And that name carries a reputation. And that name identifies me. I remember my mom and dad made it very clear that that identified me. As, as we would leave the house, they would say, remember who you belong to. You're a herbster. And that was always a reminder to us, be careful that we were not only doing what is right for the sake of, of God and his glory, but, but we do have a family that we are representing. So when we think about identity, it is really who we are. It's the way we define ourselves. Really, the focus of this message this morning from this text in Isaiah is that the greatest way to define ourselves as believers is that we belong to God. We are identified with God. You see in the text that we have read this morning, this simple idea. I've made a decision about my identity. I am nothing but what God says that I am. Nobody else has the right to tell me who I am other than God. And in this text, we see how God links himself to us and how we link ourselves to him. This is the text incomplete that we just read. And I want you to notice the places in the text that are, that are reminding us that we belong to the Lord. It tells us that we are his in verse 1. Thou art mine. It tells us that he is our Savior in verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, thy Savior. He says in verse 7, For I have called him or created him for my glory. There are specific statements of God that link us to him, that identify us to him. And in the context of this text of Scripture, we see that the identity we have in God is what brings us through the waters and the fires and the trials and the troubles of life. That is the clear context in verse 2. For when we pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow thee. When you walk through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. And when we could go on and we could continue, and, and though this was written to the children of Israel in their time period, there are many trials and troubles that we all could face. And the only way to not be afraid, and the only way to pass through those, and the only way to make it through all those crisis situations of life is to know who you belong to. 
It's to identify yourself in God. One commentator said said it this way. I love this. He said, much can be endured if we have a sense of destiny born out of our particular identity. It is not some quality given to to one who endures or some dramatic change of circumstance that makes victory possible. Rather, it is the unfailing presence of God. The fact is, your circumstances may not change. You may not be removed from that trial. You may have to pass through it. But God says He's with you and His presence is there. And so it's what we know to be true about God that identifies us with Him and helps us to not be afraid. And again, I remind you, two times He commands these people, do not be afraid. Chapters 1 through 40 are all about Despair and judgment. Chapters, uh, the, the end of the, of, the, of the book of Isaiah, chapter 41 through the end of the book are all about hope and rescue and redemption. And so though this is a text that was in its original writing to the children of Israel, there's much application for us. We belong to God. You belong to God. In a very similar way that God had a special relationship with the children of Israel who were the initial audience of this text. In the similar way, he has a very special relationship with us. And this is the truth that helps us to make it when we don't understand what God is doing. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Notice this, which in time past were not a people of God, but now are the people of God. We are the people of God. There is a distinction between the way Israel was, were the people of, Israelites are the people of God and the way the church is the pe- are the people of God. There are prophecies and predictions and promises to the to the nation of Israel that will continue to be fulfilled in that special group. But in a very similar sense, we too are God's people. There, there is really one people of God. We are the people of God. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 says, For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We are God's people. And so this is the, the truth that we see in this text. And it's a very comforting text. Because many of you are facing difficulties. The trials and troubles are going to continue to come. And even in our country and in our world, we are facing some really crisis moments. It is not in verse 2 of Isaiah 43, but could we not insert a pandemic into Isaiah 43 verse 2? That when you go through a pandemic, it's going to be okay because you belong to God. And yet so many Christians are living in fear. So many of God's people are not walking by faith. And I think it demonstrates a lack of understanding of their God and that they belong to Him. You belong to God. And so really, this is the theme of the message this morning. A Christian's identity must be placed in the reality of God. A Christian's identity must be placed in the reality of God. And the question we're going to answer in this message this morning is this. What realities about God, what 
truths about God should drive our identity in him. And in this text that we've read, there are four of those realities. Four realities as we come to God's house today and we lift our eyes to the heavenly realm. And we recognize that what we are facing here, whether it's the waters or the fires or the troubles or the trials, whatever we are facing here is just temporary. We need to lift our eyes to heavenly truths. And the most heavenly truths are truths about God realities of God. And so we want to look at these in this text this morning. The first reality about God that we need to identify with that binds us to him and helps us to not be afraid is the fact that God created us. God created you. Notice verse one again, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee. I know that in a special sense, this is, this is directed to the nation of Israel in the sense that God formed the nation of Israel. God created the nation of Israel, but we also know that the Bible tells us that God created us. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so there is, a, there is an application for us as the people of God that we can rejoice and reflect in and identify ourselves in God because God is our creator. I love the two words that are used in verse 1. There are two words that typically we would call synonyms, but they're not perfect synonyms. They actually have a nuanced difference between them. The first word that is used is the word create. This word create literally means to initiate something brand new. It means to bring something or someone into existence. This would be the word that is used in Genesis 1 and throughout the Bible to represent the out-of-nothing type creation that God has made. That he literally spoke and it came into pass. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was nothing before that except God. God initiated something brand new. He brought something into existence. And this word, in its in its original meaning, has, has, has a focus on the ability of the Creator. The ability of the Creator. Not the activity of the Creator, but the ability of the Creator. The emphasis is on the power and the creative nature and the beauty of, of our God. This word is used throughout the book of Isaiah. I, I want you to see it just a, a, a one other time here in this text. We saw it in verse 7, but it's also in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel. This is an emphasis throughout the book of Isaiah to give hope that God is our salvation, which is what Isaiah means. God is my salvation. And what gives us great hope is that God is the one who made us. He initiated our life He brought us into existence, and there's an emphasis on the power and the ability of God. This is wonderfully encouraging to know that he has everything in control because he is a powerful God who makes things out of nothing. And then the second word that is used here is the word formed. We see that in verse 1 and and throughout this text and really several times in the book of Isaiah. Just glance down to verse 21. There's the word again. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. And and the word formed is now the activity of the creator. These two words are used side by side to emphasize these two ideas. 
the power and the ability of God, and then the shaping of God or the activity of God. It is, it is the participle used in Isaiah 64 to describe uh, the, the potter working the clay. He forms the clay. And he made you and he made me just the way we need to be. I've often thought about it this way. If God made everything and he made you, he is literally the God who created science. I don't think a virus is taking him by surprise. I think he knows how to handle everything that comes into our lives. But not only did God have the power to create us and make us physically, but he is recreating us spiritually as well. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And and in some ways, this is even a more miraculous work. That he can take those who are dead in trespasses and sins and quicken them and make them alive and change them into his glory. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. God is recreating us and making us into his image. This is a powerful truth that is directed to the people of God throughout the book of Isaiah. If you're familiar with Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 is a classic text about the power of God and His creative ability. It is throughout the book of Isaiah to remind the people that God has everything under control so that when you pass through the waters and you go through the rivers and you face the fires, you know that God is the one who created you. And if He created you, He can definitely take care of you. One of my favorite quotes that I found on this idea of God being our creator is from George MacDonald, and I love this. This is, this is what it means to place your identity in God. I would rather be, he said, what God chose to make me to be than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest and grandest and most precious thing in all of my thinking. This is why in church we sing songs like, All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Hallelujah. This is why we sing songs. This is my Father's world. And though all the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler, yet we can trust Him. We do not need to be afraid. Why? Because we are identified with a God who made us. God created you. There's a second reality that we see in this text of Scripture. And as we place our identity in God, it gives us confidence to trust Him. Interesting this morning that in the Second Samuel passage the, about David that we read this morning, much of, this, much of these truths were seen as David walked through those valleys and fought those battles and came out on the right side. But did you notice how many times he lifted up the character of God? That's what we're talking about. That's what keeps us going. That's what helps us to walk by faith. As we link ourselves to the strong arms of God, we can trust him and rest in him. So God is our creator. Number two, God is our redeemer. God redeemed you. God redeemed you. And again, this is obvious in the text. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. And again, to emphasize, there is some specific truth for, the, for national Israel here. 
He says, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. We see this language of redemption also in verse 3. He uses the word ransom. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. As I studied this text, I I think that there are some that believe this is figurative type language to say that God is going to bring the nation through and not, not literally giving these particular nations, but that this is somewhat figurative type language that helps them to see that God is not going to leave them without a redemption. God is going to bring them to that end. And so he says that he's their savior. That's another word that uh, links to this idea of redemption. But verse one is clear. Fear not for I have redeemed thee. The word redeemer is literally one who buys back. One who buys back with a ransom. And this is what God was promising and is continuing to fulfill for the nation of Israel. Notice all the references in the book of Isaiah concerning this. Chapter 42, verse 14. Notice, fear not. That's the same command we see here in this text. Fear not, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer. This is a special emphasis in the book of Isaiah. That God is the Redeemer. That God will redeem his people. Chapter 43, verse 14. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I'm just giving you a, a few of these references. Chapter 44, verse 24. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee. Notice the creative power and the redemption work in the same verse to emphasize that they belong to God. He says, I am the Lord. 47 verse 4, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, the Holy One of Israel. We could go on and on and on. Chapter 59 verse 20, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And probably one of the greatest passages we'll see in just a moment, you can even turn there, is chapter 53. Turn over to chapter 53, because in Isaiah chapter 53, we see this promise and this prediction of Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer, and who is redeeming People today, God gave Jesus to redeem us, just like He is promising redemption for these people, the people of Israel. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is their Redeemer, and He is our Redeemer. He is redeeming us. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. This is an emphasis that binds us to God. He is our Redeemer. Colossians 1 verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood. It came at a great cost. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Titus 2 verse 14, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us. And again, this is why we worship God with songs like Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. Songs like, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in the Savior's Blood. And that blood and that cost was, a, a, was very precious and, and it came at a high cost. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible tells us that we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from our vain conversation with traditions of men, but with the precious blood of Christ. And what he pays for, he purchases, he takes care of. If he's good enough to redeem us, he's good enough to keep us and protect us through all the waters, through all the fires, through all the rivers. They will not overtake us because we belong to him. He is our redeemer. And then Isaiah chapter 53, notice verse 3. He is despised and rejected 
of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. This is redemption. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Notice the cost of redemption. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a powerful truth. We belong to God because he created us. We belong to God because he has purchased us. He has redeemed us with this this incredible salvation. Do you know the Lord this morning? Are you confident in that salvation? And this is why we have no reason to fear. He's our Redeemer. Thomas Watson said this, as he combines the work of God and His creation and His redemption, he said, great was the work of creation, but greater is the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than it did to make us. In the one, there was but the speaking of a word. In the other, the shedding of blood. Creation was but the work of God's fingers. Redemption is the work of His arms. I hope this morning that you can be greatly encouraged with whatever you are facing, whatever you may face in the future, that you belong to God. And He's good to you. He loves you. He made you. And He redeemed you. All right, so we're looking at realities of God that identify us with Him. And a Christian's identity must be placed in the reality of God. Nobody has the right to tell you what, who you are other than God. So believe Him. Believe that you are special. You are His created one. You are redeemed by Him. There's a third reality that we need to see in this text. Go back to chapter 43, Isaiah 43, and it is obvious that this is a truth that is throughout the Bible, but here in this text as well. He says in verse 5, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. Go back, excuse me, to verse 4. Since thou wast precious in my sight, notice this, thou hast been honorable and I have loved thee. Now, I know we talk about the love of God and I know we, in a, in a kind of a cliche way, we sing songs like Jesus loves me, this I know. But we need to understand the depth of what is being taught here, the depth of God's love. So much so that he calls us these two words, precious and honorable. The word precious has the idea of a sense of high status. You are highly stated and precious to the Lord. You are a special one to him. You are a thing of great value and of high quality. And again, it's because he made you. It's because he's redeemed you. You are precious to him. Think of whatever's precious, like a diamond or gold or amount of money or some special item that you have that you value with great, uh, with great care. You take special care of it. That's how you are to God. God can take care of us. You are precious. He loves you. And then he says you are honorable. This is interesting. This is the same Hebrew word that is translated glory. It literally means to be heavy. In a figurative way, it means to be significant. Heavy with significance. In a physical sense, it actually described people who were heavy. 
but in a figurative way, it is talking about someone who has great respect. They are weighty because of they are worthy of respect. And this is the word that is chosen here under inspiration. We are honorable to God. And not because of who we are. I think it's because of our redemption and because of the creative power of God that we are precious and we are honorable in His sight. And really the language of this text is really of a bride and, 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 a, and the bridegroom. It's the groom finding preciousness in worthiness in the bride and and they love that bride when others fail to see the same qualities there's still the love that is there and and this is this is throughout the new testament as well the comparison of the love of of god and how that love compares to even the marriage relationship the bible tells us that in ephesians 5 verse 25 husbands love your wives notice this even as christ loved the church and gave himself for it And so this is the kind of love that God has for us. And it's not because we're lovable. And it's not because we are worthy of that love. 1 John 3, verse uh, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He hath laid down His life for us. And there's all kinds of verses about God's love. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Romans 5, 8. But God commended His love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Maybe there's even someone here today, and you're questioning, you're wondering, does God really care? Does God really love me? We need to be consumed with truth, not our circumstances. And whatever you are facing, it is not more than you can handle. God loves you. He cares about you. And sometimes the greatest thing He can do for us is actually bring a difficulty in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. That is an evidence of His love. And of course, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the greatest demonstration of His love is that Christ came. Nobody can say that God doesn't love them. And so there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to be afraid when you pass through the waters or the fires or the rivers or whatever trial or trouble you are facing. You belong to God and you have a special relationship with Him. You are identified with Him. He is yours and you are His. And this is the greatest identity that we have. This is what defines us as believers. We belong to God. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He loves us. And finally, we see in verse 5, he is with us. God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 5, fear not for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. And then he says in verse 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have loved him. Or I have made him. And so verse, verse 5 gives us this final reality of God. Remember, we're placing our identity in God. We need to lift our eyes off of the circumstances, away from the troubles that we may be facing, and realize there's something bigger going on, and it's who God is and what is God, God doing in the world and what God is doing in our lives. And we identify ourselves in these realities. God is with us. This is His omnipresence. Question, is he here right now? He is. Is he with us? He is. The Bible tells us this throughout the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 139, 
sorry for the typo there, one, chapter 139. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10 say, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You can't run far enough or fast enough to get away from the presence of God. That's very comforting. Very comforting when you're going through the trials. They're not going to overtake you because God is with you. Acts 17, verse 27. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. He is near us. And we need to be near Him in personal fellowship and relationship with Him. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Don't you see that this is what guards us and keeps us through the troubles and the trials of life. And and in Isaiah 43, that's the context. That's what they were facing or would be facing. And that's what we're facing as well. All the troubles and the trials and the confusion and the crisis moments that we are facing. Why are so many Christians afraid? Why are they deserting God? Why are they questioning His integrity? When we know who our God is and we are identified with Him in these ways... He is our Creator. He is our Redeemer. He is the One who loves us, and we are precious to Him, and He will never, ever leave us or forsake us. I am with you always, He said, Jesus said, even unto the end of the world. These are realities that help us through whatever we may face that the people of God are going to face, that they faced even in this text in Isaiah chapter 43. We belong to God. He created me. He redeemed me. He loves me. He is with me. I'm sure there are people in this room, I know there are people in this room that are facing some very uncertain days ahead. Maybe your tendency is to question. Maybe even get bitter. And to wonder, does God care? Does God know? Does He see? I hope this passage of Scripture will encourage us that we can make it, that we can go through whatever God allows and brings into our lives because we know who He is. We know we belong to Him. May God help us with these powerful truths this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Are you placing your identity in these realities? These are heavenly, spiritual realities of God that we probably would all affirm verbally. But we need to prove it in our lives. We need to prove it in our trust, in our dependence on Him, in our acceptance of whatever He is bringing into our lives. That no matter what it is, He's your Creator, He's your Redeemer, He loves you, and He is with you. You belong to God. God, I pray that